Hallelujah to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and who um, we find our identity. How many of you know that you find your identity in Christ? Through his work on the cross, by nailing ourselves to the cross, we find our identity, our worth, our value in his value. That's why Colossians states that now we are seated with him in heavenly places with Christ Jesus um, at the right hand of God, a miraculous reality for all of us who know what our history has been. Y'all looking at me funny. You must don't know your history. I know mine, and I know my history, and I know how messed up my history is, and the fact that I've been snatched out of the jaws of the wrath of God, the death that that I would have been uh, separated from the living God forever. I celebrate the reality of the fact to be able to joyously nail my glory to the cross. No matter what reward you get, no matter what you receive, um, when we get before the Lord God and recognize that nothing in your life you've earned at all, anything that is due you is due right back to him. Somebody should have said amen right there. It's all right, we'll wake up in a minute. Good morning, welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's first Sunday morning gathering. Um, How many of you glad to gather with the saints today? Amen, amen. 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 Um, Just a few things. In a few weeks, I'll be going on my yearly sabbatical. And so I pray that um, as you always do, I I take a sabbatical um, once a year uh, during the month of August where I take some time to rest. It'll be extended just a little bit because at near the end of the sabbatical, I'll be um, having a baby girl. So during that time, amen. Amen. Well, I won't be having Um, correction, my wife will be having, and I will be sharing the baby girl with her in Jesus' name. My bad, ladies. I know that you ain't having nothing. You ain't having nothing. You're going to be sitting there saying breathe, saying breathe. That's it. So um, (laughs) you ain't doing nothing. My bad, my bad, my bad. Charge it to my head, not my heart. Um, And so I'll be back by the time our anniversary is coming. And um, and so I want you to uh, keep, um, keep, keep me lifted during that time. My wife and I lifted during that time because we have a toddler that's ready. He, he ready. I mean, we got a 13-year-old. He's, you know, helper. Got my six-year-old. He's a helper. But my, my toddler, he's everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Now he's ready. He's probably going to be walking in the next, like, three to four weeks, which is going to be interesting to hold the infant. And then try, Nehemiah, come here, come here. So this is different for us because we had them all spread out apart. But we are thankful and glad for God's grace and all of that. <clears throat> next year, just want to sort of give you a framework for some of the things that we do here as it relates to leadership time off. Next year, um, because we'll be a decade in, the elders have charged me to take an extended sabbatical um, next year. So I want to prepare you for it. I'm going to be talking about it over the next time um, because it's been a decade. And I take time off, but they've been on me about making sure I take time off. So they want me to take a minimum of a straight two months off next year. And um, which, y'all, you know, amen, Um, amen, you know, amen. So just pray that I'm not fidgety and I'm not checking the Instagram page for Epiphany Fellowship because I'll be missing Epiphany Fellowship when we gone. I'm missing the church, um, my wife and I both. Um, But it's a needed time. I've had at least five of my friends um, who have been in ministry about the same amount of time of mine crash literally crash from their time of being in ministry, not moral failure, anything, just going hard, pastoring, loving, leading people, doing a great job, but didn't take those needed times of break that, um, that were needed. And one had to take literally six months off, not because, he, uh, not because it was scheduled, but because just to even get ready back to be able to pour out in ministry. I don't want to have to take a, a, um, a mandatory time where everybody's like, man, you need to you, you can't, your doctor's telling you you can't, and so I, I don't want to be to that point. Are y'all trekking with me today? I just want to make sure, because y'all looking at me, so I'm like, I just want to make sure. So, so probably two months. They said three. I said two. I said, I'm taking three months off. I love y'all. You know, I ain't taking three straight months off. I'll take two months off, and we spread the other ones out. So is that all right with y'all? Amen. Amen. So, so, so we're excited about that and glad about the opportunity and thankful for these men who help hold me accountable to lead. And let's give God a hand for our elders here at Epiphany Fellowship. Amen. Amen. So I wanted to hit you. So this time is just six weeks, so I'll be back. Uh, so next Sunday is my last Sunday. We finish God the Story Changer next Sunday. So we'll end the series um, with the woman with the alabaster box, how God changed her story. Um, um, today we're going to talk about David. Then when I come back, um, Pastor Blake's going to be in. We're going to celebrate nine years 
of ministry. Amen. We're going to come in. Then that next week, we're going to start a series on, on generosity. Amen. Y'all didn't clap on that. Amen. Amen. We're going to do about a four-week series on generosity. Then there, um, we're going to go into the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to go through, it's going to be a series called Authentic Disciples. And so you're going to get a picture of what it means to be an authentic disciple through the book of 2 Corinthians, all right? Uh, uh, and we're going to work through that. Then that's going to be converted into a commentary for people to utilize. So that's going to be converted, and it's going to be one of the first African-American written commentaries in the last 20 to 100 years maybe. So the Lord is gracious. So let's keep that lifted up as, as, we, um, as we, it's in the Christ-centered commentary series, and so we're excited about that and seeing what the Lord is up to. You can stand to your feet. Let's dig in. Y'all know I don't usually pastor reflect that long. Just while you're standing up, don't forget my book Unleashed is coming out in a few weeks. I'm excited about it. Excited about that resource about um, just really helping people to be conformed to the image of Christ and so, uh, and, and how that gets done. Let's turn over to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16 verses 1 through 13. And you know how we do. I, I, I'll start with you by the grace of the good God, and then we will zoom on through through the rest of this text and get on in. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13 in the ESV version of the Bible. Let's get it. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Keep going. Amen, amen, amen. In our, this um, installment of our series on God, the story changer today, we'll be talking about God changing the story of David. Let's dive in. Father, we thank you, honor you, and bless your name for your mercy, for your grace, and for your life that only uh, you can give and that you can only bring through our risen master, who is our king and who is soon to return, who we await expectantly for him to come back and snatch us up and get us and do in our lives what only he can do, Lord God. And Lord, I, I honor you for uh, the greatness of your mercy 
to bring us here and give us the ability to gather. Um, I, I know some of our brothers and sisters who are in our network that are in the 1040 window who we can't even mention their names because they can't gather publicly. So God, will you be with them as they sneak together this week? And God, um, uh, just to hear a word from you, just to gather with one another uh, and to figure out ways to communicate your gospel to the people in their surroundings. Lord, touch all of the craziness that's happening in our culture. Lord God, all of the challenges on, uh, with race, all of the challenges uh, with gender identity. God, will you do what you only can do and help the church to be a prophetic beacon of light in the mighty name of Jesus with clarity and with unity and with a heart passion that is committed to the gospel and the centrality of the exaltation of Jesus Christ above all of us. And God, as we enter this story, recognizing that you've entered ours, Lord, bless uh, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart. Help them to be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. And Lord, help us not to just be hearers, uh, but help us to be effectual doers. In Jesus' mighty name, invade our story. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm a sucker for an underdog. I, I, I love a good underdog story, not underdog like the cartoon. I'm talking about, some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about, but, um, 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 but, 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 but like underdogs, people who were counted out but were uh, given great opportunity and strengthened with the tenacity to overcome the odds that were against them. I, I love the clip that people have been sh uh, shopping around about that, that Eagles game back, in, back, back a few years back where uh, uh, Mike Vick had first come back to the Eagles and the score with eight minutes left in the game against the New York Giants was 31 to 10. And in, in that eight minute period um, with several touchdowns, I mean, they, 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 they kicking onside kicks. He's running the ball, sliding to the ground, and, and, and they end up winning the game, and everybody goes ballistic and crazy. Probably, to me, one of the best series runs in the history of football. Um, but, but maybe you don't remember that one. I, I remember back in the day, the Karate Kid. Some of y'all don't remember Wax On, Wax Off. You see what I'm saying? Go do your little history, you know what I'm saying? Get Netflix or something. Wax On, Wax Off, or look it up on YouTube. Great story. Great story about the underdog. That's one of them Jones. The, the underdog stories kind of had me choked up a little bit. Um, and, and just watching Daniel son, you know, having not as many skills as the dude that was on his team. But y'all remember what he did at the end. Y'all remember what he did. <laughs> Boom! Got shorty out. He didn't even know what was going to happen. But that one move was able to change the sh and shift. Uh, the trajectory of Daniel's story, and he became champion. I mean, this Philadelphia, so you can't talk about underdogs without talking about Rocky, all right? I mean, everybody comes to Philly. You know, when you live in Philly, don't they get on your nerves when all your relatives want to come to Philly, and they want to go to the Rocky steps, and then they run halfway up the steps, and they stop you from taping. Then they get to the top, because they get tired going up the steps. And then they want to do like this at the end, like they did some after they were just like this from running up the steps. Um, if relatives always want you to take me to the Rocky Steps, it's called the Art Museum. It's not the Rocky Steps. Um, and, and so, um, uh, but, but, but we love the story of celebrating um, sort of just with the underdog and, and the person um, that, that, that's counted out but has tenacity and grunt. That's really Philly. Philly is like the underdog city between D.C., between New York. It's kind of like we count two. And so it's kind of like the scrappy cities, like scrappy dude. You know, you catch Philly in the alley, Philly will knock you out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but we, 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 come, we, come to, we come to a story, if you will, um, to me, that is, um, that reflects this idea, because we come to a story where <clears throat> we see an underdog. We see an underdog that is not really a familiar idea in the Bible. <clears throat> it's a consistent idea that we see throughout the trajectory of Scripture as God works with ministers to and uses people for his own glory and excellence. Um, many of you in this room, if you look at your story, if it wasn't for the goodness of God, all of the statistics that were against you, all of the things that were standing in your way, there were a bunch of obstacles to you being where you are today, but the goodness of God looking out for you, wanting to glorify himself and, and, and strongly support you is why you're here today. I'm the only one excited about that, but 
but, but, but there were, I, I know there's some of y'all, I know, I know your story that you were in poverty. And some of y'all went to good schools and now you eat, now you know differences between a flank steak and filet mignon. You ain't used to know that. You know what I'm saying? God changed his story, and that's not the goal, but it is fun to have some enjoyments on the way in Jesus' mighty name. I mean, some of you have come from backgrounds of molestation, and and, and God has blessed you to trust again. All different types of things that's happened to you that that, that should have held you back. You've had a messed up parenting household. Some of y'all had no father. Some of y'all had no mama. Some of y'all had legalistic parents. Some of y'all had parents that overbeat you. Some of you had parents didn't beat you. Some of you had all different types of things in your life. And there were markers on your life to indicate your trajectory being different than when Christ got to it. And and so in light of that reality, we come to a story where there's a cross-section of three stories. Really four being changed at the same time. Um, there's, uh, uh, th- there's the story of Israel itself <coughs> that is at powerful work here where God is working <coughs> to shift Israel's trajectory. But not only that, he, he also has a story working through here and weaving through here. We'll touch on it of one of the first prophets of this new era that didn't mean that there wasn't prophets before this. But we just came out of the time of the judges, post the slavery period, post the patriarchal period. Now we're in the time of some call the kings, but most call the prophets. (laughs) And this is the time where the prophets were calling God's people back to God's word. If ever you read the prophets, they're always calling, they're always prophesying God's word back to God's people to get God's people to turn back to God. Over and over and over again, biblical prophecy is all about calling out a remnant to follow the living God with ferocious tenacity to show off the glory of Christ in every area of their lives. (laughs) So we come to a story. We have the cross-section of Israel. We have the cross-section of Samuel. We have the cross-section of Saul, and we have the cross-section of David. And those are macro and micro narratives, but then we got the larger meta-narrative, if you remember, of God's redemptive work to bring towards his decreed ends, utilizing the narratives of all of these individuals for his own glory and purposes. (laughs) So we come to this story um, of God having a a great situation of raising Israel up out of the post-judges time even though there's still some residue of people doing what they want in their own eyes, okay? And so we come here to this passage where uh, Samuel is exhorted by God to come and anoint David as king. And so it brings me to our first point in this um, installment installment of our series on God's story change. I got one point today and one point only. God takes pleasure. God takes pleasure in glorifying himself through those who are underestimated. God takes pleasure in glorifying himself through people who are underestimated. I want you to write that down um, as we go through here. So we come in the cross section of this story and we see right here something interesting. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel's the prophet of God, the first of the new school group of prophets who are prophesying to Israel. He said, how long will you grieve over Saul (coughs) since I have rejected him from being king (coughs) over Israel? And so what's happening is, is Saul was the first king of Israel and the king of Israel was supposed to be distinctive from all of the different kings that was around them. (laughs) And so Samuel, of course, had the pleasure of appointing the first king of Israel. (laughs) He had the first opportunity to make history, and history is happening as God is changing the story of Israel by putting in branch making new leadership. And so because of two instances of foolishness, on the part of Saul, which we'll talk about in a second, where he was twice in the story, he did not do what God told him to do. Twice in his story, God, I mean, God had a beastly story for this dude. Dude going to be first king of Israel. He's not only going to be the first king of Israel, God was going to establish his throne. It was going to be amazing. But 
his story got hijacked. His story didn't get hijacked by the devil. His story didn't get hijacked by his enemies. His story didn't get hijacked by his family. His story got hijacked by his own foolishness. And twice, what's interesting, people of God, <coughs> is the reason why God rejected him as king was because he was partially obedient. You would think that he would get rejected if he was just automatically just fully against the will of God and not doing anything that God said. But it was not only that he was partially obedient, he tried to create what obedience looked like. And God said, see, I can't have nobody being over the story that I'm trying to shift in the life of my people who can't be obedient to my voice. And so Samuel had to take the word twice to Saul and tell him, yo, God has rejected you from being king. He said, your disobedience is so crazy, it's equal with witchcraft. And so, and so, and so, and so it was so deep. And so, and so uh, Saul, like, I did obey the Lord. In his mind, he did. And he's trying to pull on. And Samuel's like, it's over. And so Samuel is grieving. And so Samuel is in his crib. He's grieving over the fact of what could happen to Israel in light of this idea. And so God um, told him over right here, to, he said, I want you to stop grieving now. There's a point in your story where God says, I want you to stop grieving about what happened and what could have happened so that you can move forward in the way that I want things to happen. Be, get, 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 be, be very, very careful that you don't get stuck and pitch your tent in a valley that God wants to get you beyond. And so God tells Samuel, he tells him, he said, he says, listen, family, he said, he said, I want you to stop grieving over spilled milk. In other words, that's done and over. I know you love Samuel. I, I'm saying, uh, Saul, I know y'all are close, but you have to begin to move forward beyond this because even though his story ends, mine doesn't. And even though mine doesn't, I got more that I want to do, and you have to be freed up from the brokenness of what happened in order to participate in the greatness of what I want to do in your life. Let me just pause parenthetically there. There's some things in your life that God wants you to get over. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not talking about the insensitive, just get over it. But God, for some of you, have provided so many healing opportunities. <laughs> and some of y'all need to say, okay. That happened. It's time to move on. God is saying to you, stop grieving. He get, listen, he gave him time to grieve. That's what I love about God. He, grieving is healthy, but grieving too long means you're stagnant. And so you don't want your story, you don't want to move forward physically, but your story to be stuck in your past. And so God is calling Samuel <laughs> in the intersection because he's working on Samuel as well, even in the midst of this. I mean, in all of these things happening, he says, fill your horn with oil. <clears throat> and he says, go and go. I will send you to the house of Jesse or to Jesse the Bethlehemite. I love this <clears throat> because here um, the idea of the way he filled the horn with oil is different than what he used the other time. The other time when he appointed Samuel, uh, a Saul as king, it was a smaller horn. But this time he got a larger horn of oil. Uh, I'll talk about that in a little bit. It's interesting here. He says, for I have provided, I like this, for myself a king from among his sons. I like the fact that God lets us know every now and then that he don't need us. <laughs> I love, I love that God said, I provided for myself. In other words, that, that, that can't, can't nobody say that. With all your money that you make or don't make, with all your money you got in your account or don't have in your account, technically you didn't provide for yourself. Because the structure of the boss, the physique of the boss, the structure that you work in, the bank account, the bank, the bank industry, everything that you utilize as a currency mechanism God created. So really, you're just grabbing a hold of to what God has provided. You're not really providing for yourself, but God allows you to call it providing. Anyway. God says to himself, God says, I provided for myself. So that means God went initiating after what he wanted to do. That's what I like about God being a story changer. It's about him providing for his own mission. It's about him providing for his own glory. It's about him providing for what he wants to do, knowing, I love this, that God will take care of making sure what he wants to get done gets done. 
And so, so, so he said, I provided, <coughs> I provided for myself. Now, the question is, how did God provide for himself? Well, earlier um, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, God, when he uh, rejected Saul as king, Samuel said something interesting here, which gives you the indication of what God wants to provide for himself, and not only provide for himself, but provide in us, in our story, for his glory. Check out what God says. This is beautiful. <laughs> We've heard this before, but listen to it in this context. This is the type of person that God wants to provide. He says in 1 Samuel 13, 14, he says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man <coughs> after his own heart, <laughs> and the Lord commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Interesting. So God, when he provided for himself, <coughs> he didn't just want a person that was strengthened to do a task. <laughs> God can always provide a person to do something. Okay, y'all looking at me funny. When God wanted to show off his glory, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. <laughs> he used an unbelieving heart of a Pharaoh to do what he wanted to do, and that's deliver his people in might. <laughs> but here God wants something that's connected to his glory in relation to his heart. He says, I'm going to find somebody that's not only can do the task of a king, but have the heart of mine. In, in other words, a person that chases after my heart. In other words, not my hand, but my heart. <clears throat> in other words, many of us want God's hand. In other words, what he provides, but we don't want his heart. See, having God's heart means you want to be married to what he wants, even though in your flesh it may not be what you want. That, that, means, that means that you will be committed to a cruciform life. See, at the center of taking up your cross daily and following God is chasing after his heart. And if that means getting some splinters on the way during your day in your back because of a commitment to follow after the heart of God, you're willing to do that. And so God says, I want somebody that's not just task-oriented. I want them heart-oriented. And, 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 and you'll see throughout the life. And, and after his heart doesn't mean perfect, though. See, most of us think having a heart after God's heart means that we're perfect. No, having a heart after God's heart means you seek him, you want to do his commands, but when you fail, you repent. Amen. See, being after his heart is being after his heart when things are up and when things are down, when you feel right and when you feel wrong. That means you're always willing to go after the heart of God no matter what. And so we see this idea in shaping the reality of this story because God loves, listen, to use people who are chasing after him, not just after what he provides. God loves to grab, listen, God moves on the lives and does powerful things through people that he pushes forward without them knowing all that he's going to provide. Because if God shows you all that he's going to provide apart from a connection to him, you'll seek after what he wants to give, not the passion that he has in his heart for you to know him and have an intimate relationship with him. If you read any of the Psalms of David, it is no way in the world that you didn't see a person that spent some time with God. It's just, it's just no way, shape, or form. So what made him distinct wasn't his warrior conquest, wasn't um, all the different things that he did, but what made him distinct is his disposition towards the heart of God. <coughs> so God says, I want someone after my own heart. And he says, and you shall anoint him for me. I like that. For me. Uh, 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 you shall anoint him for, uh, 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 for, uh, for me, him, whom I declare to you. It says, so Samuel did what the Lord, command, uh, com, uh, the, the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. Now, he was afraid, of course. He's like, now, what if Saul, you know Saul crazy, guy. So <laughs> if Saul finds out that I'm going to anoint another king, you know, one, day, one minute he's like, I want what God wants. Then the next minute when he gets insecure, he's going to try to kill me. You ever been around somebody like that? Then one minute they like this, then the next minute they like this. You know what I'm saying? One minute they're like, I love the Lord, and then the next minute they're cussing somebody out. One... 
And so, so Samuel said, I love, I love you. I'm your prophet, but you know your boy crazy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, so, and so God said, all right, listen, I, I, I go down there and make some, just go down there. We're gonna, I'm, 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 I'm telling you, this ain't no lie. I'm telling you, grab an animal. We're going to go down there and do a sacrifice. And so, so Samuel did what the Lord commanded him and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came out to meet him, trembling. Now, I, I, can I just have a, a, a parenthetical moment right here? Can you imagine the prophet of God coming towards you and everybody like, now you got to understand, in these days, prophets coming around wasn't good. <laughs> see, ain't like it is today. <laughs> see, see, I, can I just be crazy for a second? Um, <clears throat> you know, um, just for a second, um, prophets today, like somebody prophet, you wishing the prophet prophesy over you. Because, you, because they, they're, they branded themselves as prophesying, you're going to get something. But in their day, it's like, Lord, if he don't say nothing to me, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm good. And so, so he comes into the city, and somebody probably went to the washroom. probably was like, yo, Samuel coming. So the dude run over, get the elders. The elders come out. I don't know if they're bringing sackcloth and ashes up and putting everything over their head. And, you know, trying to, you know, but, but they come out. And, and, and listen to what they say. Listen to what they say. They came out trembling like they were scared, all of them, like unified fear. <laughs> he said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. They, like, they threw the sack off and ashes aside. <laughs> they was like, this is great. <laughs> we gotta, we're going to have a good word today. Amen. <laughs> he, said, he said, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. The elders and different people from the city... You got to get the picture of this as we're telling this. They, they, they come, the elders of the city, and they come to, to, to Jesse's house. Now, can you imagine all the elders of the church, you know what I'm saying, and just some random people from your neighborhood that believe in the Lord coming over to your house saying, we're going to have a sacrifice. <laughs> I mean, I just want y'all to feel what's going on in the text. So they all at the house right now, right? And he says, and he sacrificed, and he consecrated Jesse. I don't know what he did. I don't know if he put water on him, oil, Killed the John and put some, but I don't know what he did. But Jesse and his sons, and, and, and he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. It's crazy. And so, so, so what's interesting here is he invites them. Now, he has the horn of oil, so you got to understand he's been holding his horn of oil with his hand in the bottom of it with the oil dripping everywhere. <laughs> All the way from wherever he was, and he's holding the horn of oil. <laughs> then he says, it says, when he came, when they came, that's Jesse, they left the house, went to another spot. He said, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, I like this. He didn't say this out loud. <clears throat> Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So in his mind, he said, oh man, look at Shorty, man. I mean, this got to be the dude that God's going to use. He don't even know money, right? But he's already putting in his mind because, he under, because in Samuel's mind, Saul was tall, Saul was handsome, but he forgot that God wasn't looking for a tall, handsome dude. He was looking for a man after his own heart. I wish I, I, wish I could just pause there and do a marriage seminar. But, but, but that's not what this text is about. <laughs> but, 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 but you can apply it to a whole lot of things. In, in, other, in, other, in other words, God is looking at the heart. Some of us are looking at handsomeness. God is looking at holiness, and you're looking at what you can hold. But, that's, but help me today, God. But, but, the, but, but, but my Bible here, my Bible, my Bible is taking me in a different theological direction. But, but if I was doing a marriage seminar, anyway says, but, contrasting conjunction, the Lord said to Samuel. Now, God and Samuel in telepathy mode. So, they ain't, nobody know what he's even talking about right now. So, God says to Samuel, man, do not look on his appearance. This is a word for somebody here. Or on his height of his stature because I have rejected him. 
Now, this is crazy. Now, I, I, I looked at the word reject, and I just hovered over it. I said, why would he reject them? Like, he's telling him to go to anoint somebody, but God said, I've already rejected him. Meaning that God anthropomorphically in man's mind went out on a search already and looked at hearts of people already. And when he came to Eliab, he already came to the house of Jesse, and he already went to Eliab's heart and knew that he wasn't going to choose him. But when the prophet got there, the first person he see this find, he say, that's him. And God says, I've rejected him. God could have just said, no, nah, that's not him. He said, I rejected him, pointing to the fact that I've already looked at him. <laughs> it's powerful, right? And then he, said, then, he, then he says, look, 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 look. He says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. I love this. Um, now, don't say this, though, y'all. This, see, this is bad, really, really bad theology. God knows my heart. Don't say that. Don't ever say that. Matter of fact, don't ever, 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 ever say that. Because when we say God knows our heart, we're assuming good in it. But the Bible says that the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? In other words, no human beings can know it. But if there's anything good going on in your heart, God's the one put it there. That means that whoever God's going to choose, this day of choice didn't start with God working on them once they got anointed. God's work on somebody's life always predates the anointing day. So, so when God comes looking, if you ain't spent time nurturing with the Lord, when God goes looking for somebody to use, he might just pass you by. See, many of us want the exaltation, but we don't want the solitude. Help me today, God. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. I gotta, I, I'm, I'm supposed to preach that later, man. I, I'm getting ahead of, look at what he says. He says, <coughs> he says, for the Lord looks, uh, a man looks on the outward appearance, how things appear to be. That's why we're into branding so greatly lately. He says, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, I look at what's going on in their values, in their affections, and in their obedience. God, God, God says, I want to know what you value. I want to know, what, what is, is your, are your values aligned with my values? I know what you theologically say. I know what you amen on Sunday morning, but at the end of the day, you don't really believe what you amen. God wants the amen to be aligned with what's really going on on the inside of you. And so, and so look, 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 look. So, so, so he goes further, and, 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 he, and he rejects Eliab. Right? He said, but the Lord looks at the heart. He says, do not look at the appearance. And he continues to work through that as he talks to uh, him about this idea of how God makes decisions. God sees the heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 5, 21, it says, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give account. Second Chronicles 16.9 um, says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support. Somebody should say strong support. <laughs> strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this. From, for, uh, from, from now on, you will have wars is what he was saying to that one particular person. Proverbs 15, 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on evil and good. If you just look over the scriptures, God's omniscient eye is always looking for somebody to get behind. And so he, he, he points him to this idea of him looking merely at the outward. Then he goes and then, it's interesting, he says, then Jesse, I like this, called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema 
passed by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these jokers. <laughs> then, this is what I like about the faith of Samuel. Samuel know what God said to him. See, don't miss what the text is showing us. He knew, now Jesse only put before Samuel who he wanted before Samuel. But the, see, that's how you know a real prophet. See, you know, you know, a real prophet, they real specific, you know. So he says, even though Jesse ain't saying nothing, he says, do you got another son? God ain't spoke to Samuel yet. He just remembered that God said, there's a son here that's supposed to be known. He says, he says, you got any other sons? Now listen to Jesse's response, right? You got, you got any, and he said, he said are, are, are these all your sons? He said, and he said, oh, oh yeah. Um, you got to get the gist of this story. He says, he says, there remains the youngest. In the Hebrew, it means smallest. I believe the Hebrew writer did that on purpose to do that. And he says, but behold, <coughs> he is keeping the sheep. Like, in other words, he's making an excuse why David can't even come in the house, right? And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. This is how serious it is. For we will not sit down till he comes out here. I like that. That's a good prophet right there. He said, he said, he said we ain't going to eat nothing. I don't want none of your food. I'm hungry in the mug, but I'm not going to eat none of your food until you bring Shorty out here. I want to see young man. Bring him, right? Boom. He sent and brought him in. Now, you got to understand, he's, he's shepherding the sheep, so he's not like in the backyard. He's somewhere out in the pasture. Shepherds lead sheep. So one of the brothers going out and said, hey, David, David, come here. So, he, you know, you know, David, David, come in, and he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy, which means he was brown-skinned, reddish-brown. So he was a golden complexion, not the way the movies make them. Amen. That's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> anyway, and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. So he was short, cute, and like a roughneck. So he came in, wanted to know how David was walking from the sheep. You know what I'm saying? He's smelling all, you know, David a fighter, so he bow-legged, probably, you know what I'm saying? You know, he probably coming in like that, you know what I'm saying? So David come in the crib. I mean, you know, everybody else real pretty. He like short, stocky dude. You know, we don't even know, but anyway. <laughs> he said, and the Lord said to him, arise, anoint him, for this is he. So the dude that daddy didn't even want to put before the prophet was the very one. It's bad when your family don't even believe in you. But what I like about the Lord is he'll look overlook how other people treat you. <laughs> and he'll overlook that because what he wants to will and do in your life supersedes the authority that's in your life. And so, and, so, and, so, and so what's so powerful about the story is when God is determined to work in you and through you, he will make people go get you that don't like you. Later on, we're going to see his brothers don't, ain't feeling them. We're going to see Eliab especially later. God made one of his brothers go get him. So there probably in his household was a separation between the eight brothers, David being not looked upon a certain way, and the seven brothers being his pride and joy. The first three brothers were warriors in Saul's army. So that's another reason why God ain't want them on the team anyway, because they had Saul's spirit on them. Help me today, God. Ah, I wish I had time for that one. Only got one minute and 10 seconds. I got to get through this. Um, but y'all know I'll be going over. We're going to be 10 minutes away. Um, anyway, he said, he said, then David took the horn of oil. I love it. I'm about to shout. Look what, it, look, 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 look what happens. Took the horn of oil and anointed him. Look, look at how the Holy Ghost do it. In the midst of his brothers. Oh, y'all not going to You missed your shouting moment. Listen, 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 listen. You don't ever have to worry about being rejected. You don't ever have to worry about people hating on you. You ain't ever got to, because when God anoints you, he going to anoint you in broad daylight. Oh, have mercy. So his brother's standing there. Standing. Now, they don't necessarily know that he's being anointed for king because Samuel didn't say that. 
Okay, so 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 look what so so what's interesting is this, and then it says, and this, and, and uh, after he took the horn of oil in the midst of the, so the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. What's interesting about a whole lot of things here is David was the smallest, and he was out. It's interesting that the specificity of David's story is given because it says he's out keeping sheep. Later on. Before David kills Goliath, David has to run. He's, he got to bring carryout food from home to his brothers on the battlefield. Carryout food. All right, carryout means taking bread, lunch, boom. Bringing them lunch on the battlefield. David comes up on the battlefield. And I, I'm, I'm saying this for a reason. This is beautiful things you learn about David. So David's on the battlefield. He comes up on the battlefield. And when he comes up on the battlefield, he's talking to some dudes. He's like, what's going on? He's the little brother. He's like, what's going on here? He said, oh, this big old, like, nine-foot dude keep coming all up to the front talking crazy to us. David trying to look like, where you at? Where you at? Let me get on your shoulders. Let me see what dude like. He said, oh, man, y'all some suckers, man. Put me up there, man. I'll knock Slim Slam out right there. <laughs> Boom. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so he like, so, so, so Eliab come up to him. He said, he said, what you doing? You always, you little rascal. You evil. What evil is in your heart? He starts jamming David up, up in chapter 16. And, 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 and he kept, David got louder, right? I like the way David, he said, yeah, I bet you if I was up there. And he said, Saul, Saul said, bring Shorty to me. Saul come up, he, he said, what's up, man? He said, yeah, man, I, I, listen, who is this uncircumcised philistine that dares charge up the armies of God? And, and he, said, he, said, he said, listen, put me out there, I'll put him to sleep. Saul was like, Saul look at him like, you know, Saul about 6'5", you know what I'm saying? Everybody like 6'5", David like five and a half feet tall. They're looking at David like, wow, this dude got, he talk big trash, right? He said, you, you ain't, you don't even, I mean, wait, come on, bro. David said, let me, let me give you the story. I have, like whenever one of the sheep gets snatched by a lion or a bear, I go after them. And I snatch them from the mouth of the lion and the bear. Now, you got to understand, David was out by himself a lot, and he was lonely. So, all he had was sheep and Jesus. <laughs> and, so, and so, all he did, knew how to do was fight and care for people. Oh, y'all not going to talk back to me. And in those times, he talked with the Lord lonely and and God worked on him and nurtured his heart and strengthened him so that by the time he got anointed, God had already worked on him. And so at this moment, when he gets before Goliath, he said, I get out there and do it. And what happened is Saul tried to put his armor on David. But David said, I haven't tested none of these. In other words, I don't, I'm small. I don't want to put on anything bigger than me to, 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 for anything bigger than me to get the glory. I want to, I just, listen, I'm just going to go down to the brook. I'm going to just grab me a couple of stones. I know how to work this sling. I've knocked out a lion. I've knocked out a black. I put them to sleep. So I'm, he's like, he's not even a lion. I said, now, I didn't, I never seen this until I looked at this. It said lions, bears. <laughs> Look at the text. It didn't say lion, bear. It said like often. <laughs> I mean, do you understand what the text said? And so this dude had a track record of fighting and caring and God utilized that solitude and faithfulness when nobody was looking but him as the preparation station for his story to be changed. Listen, your story is never changed when you're anointed. Your story is changed in the solitude of God's presence. The anointing is just the announcement of what God has already been doing when you was by yourself. Help me today, God. All I'm trying to let you know is God loves to use underdogs. And the strength of the underdog is the heart of God, not the bare hands that they have. But as great as David was, he's not as, he's not as great as Jesus. Jesus is the better David. I mean, Jesus was the underdog. The Bible says the stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. Said when he was on the cross, Said nobody wanted to look. He wasn't fine. He wasn't anything to be desired. Um, Jesus is the better son of Jesse because he's not only the son of Jesse, the Bible calls him the root of Jesse. 
That means Jesse's existence comes from his existence, even though he's a son of Jesse, to remind Jesse, I made you and allowed you to be a part of making a body for me. Help me today, God. Jesus was rejected by his brothers, wasn't he? And Jesus received the Spirit publicly. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, and Jesus is the ultimate one through his death, burial, and resurrection, who fulfills the glory of the Davidic covenant, house, throne, kingdom, and Jesus Christ's rule will never, will never end. And so when we look at the story changer in the life of David, we see that this underdog ultimately points to the underdog, Jesus Christ, who ended up being the rejected one who now all creation will one day have to worship. And so today, as you look into your story, recognize that whatever you're dealing with as an underdog in your life, Christ has already been through that. And since Christ has already been through that, survived it, got the t-shirt and the cross and the crown of thorns, you're able through his strength to make your way by his strength through every circumstance, through the power of the gospel to be all that God wants you to be. I'm done. Father, Father, we thank you and we honor you for being um, God, the Jesus, the better David, the better, the, you're the better underdog because there was way more against you than was, what was for you. But Jesus, thank you for your mighty name and thank you for being the one who despised the shame on the cross. You despised it. You despised the shame and embraced the cross on our behalf so that we could go from spiritual death to spiritual life. You got up from the grave with all power in your hand, and we never have to worry by your namesake, Lord God, ever again of being abandoned and being left off because you've embraced us because of Christ's work. We honor you and thank you. Is there anyone today that wants to put their confidence in Christ? Christ ultimately is the